If you would, please take your Bible and turn to the book of Judges. Uh, in the Bible, and there's a Bible in the pocket in front of you. Begin, start in the beginning of Genesis and go to page uh, 181. You'll find the book of Judges, 181 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you. Uh, go to Judges, and if you would, actually let's start, start in chapter 2, verse 10. Judges chapter 2. So if you're there in that black Bible, find page 181 and find chapter 2, the 10th verse. We're going to start there. It's actually a different verse I'm going to read through this morning. Uh, Very rarely do I do uh, an overview of a book at the initial start of starting a book. I just jump right in, but given the weight of the book of Judges, I thought it would be wise to kind of do an introduction to the book of Judges just to kind of get us on the right footing. And, And we're going to be in the book of Judges for 20 weeks. I listed out 20 weeks, and that includes today's message. So it'll be 20 weeks in the book of Judges um, uh, walking through uh, this interesting Old Testament book, which most of us are pretty unfamiliar with, except when it comes to like Samson. Um, look at chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Thanks, Doug. I appreciate you doing that. Go to verse 17, if you would. Verse 17. In the same chapter, verse 17. And yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commands of Yahweh. They did not do as their fathers did. Now, you're in chapter 2. Go to chapter 17 in the book of Judges. Chapter 17. <clears throat> Chapter 17, verse 6. Chapter 17 in the book of Judges. Look at verse 6 with me. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then last verse I want to give you. The last chapter, chapter 21. Go to chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 25, which is verbatim, practically, from chapter 17, verse 6. 21, verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, This year, my wife and I are going to celebrate 29 years of being married. I know, you should be clapping for her. And we've known each other for, uh, for forty. What's forty-nine minus twelve? Thirty-seven. It's a thirty-seven, right? So we've known each other for thirty-seven years. So I met her when I was twelve. Dreamweaver. 
Who's that girl? <clears throat> so let's say May 16th, that's our anniversary. It's a big day. You should be writing that down. You should be sending me stuff. Just kidding. It's a big day. I get, hey, quiet now. I ask you to speak, you're not supposed to speak. It's rhetorical. Anyways, <clears throat> I get flowers. I get balloons. She's all yeah. Wait, wait a second. You said it. Get a special meeting place. We get sushi. No. Get a great dinner together. So I have the balloons, got the card, got the flowers. Have nice dinner together. You get the setting right, okay? And I express my love and devotion to her and her alone. It's a delightful evening together. And so she's confident of my allegiance to her. Now, let's change things up a little bit. Same scenario. Flowers, card, balloons, meeting place. I'm expressing my love, my devotion to her. Another woman walks by. I go, oh. Hi. Oh, see. Expressing my love and devotion to her. Another woman walks by. I say, hi, how you doing? I see you. <laughs> Expressing my love and devotion to her. Another woman walks by. Hi, how you doing? Oh. Call me. <laughs> now, would she be confident of my love for her? And yet that's exactly how we treat our Savior. Our Lord wants you to want Him solely. He wants to be number one in our lives. And He'll do... Whatever it takes to make that happen, he'll discipline you in the process so that you'll want him. That's his great love for his people, for his elect chosen ones. I told you the theme for the book of Judges. Here's the theme. God's overwhelming, never-ending, not reckless. That song is bad theology in that word reckless. You know the song I'm talking about. 90.9, his, his, his love's not reckless, but it's relentless. God's overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people. And I'll put it up there on the screen again so you can write it down. He wants us to solely want Him. And that's what this book is all about. He wanted Israel to solely want Him. It's a book about God disciplining His people so they would want Him. Was it successful?
The people rebelled and acted this way, needing a king to direct them to, Yahweh, to love Yahweh. And it would be Yahweh himself who needed to change the hearts of his people to love him and to have a king, with a capital K, who would rule them perfectly. That's our Lord Jesus. We need God to change our hearts to love him because in and of ourselves, we won't do it. Judges focuses on Israel's sin, God's gracious discipline for their sin, and his deliverance from his discipline. That's what the book of Judges is about too. I'm trying to give you different sub-themes to this. God's never-ending uh, overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people. The people were, were, were quick to defect away from loving and focusing upon God. I mean, did you see uh, the number of times as you were reading through, three different times you see how they played the harlot, played the harlot, played the harlot. One time it says they forgot the Lord. Five times they forsook the Lord. Seven times it said they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And three different times it talks about the testing of the Lord. He tested them. And yet, amid their faithlessness, God remained patiently faithful. He will always keep his promises. Being faithful, gracious, and long-suffering so that we would love, admire, and desire Him alone. He's going to be relentless at this. For those that belong to Him, the Lord knows those who are His, Second Timothy chapter 2, and let the one who named the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness, and He'll make sure that happens by disciplining you. So, here it is, the theme in a long statement of the book of Judges. God's overwhelming, never any relentless love for his people. He wants us to solely want him. And he will discipline us to make that happen. He disciplines us so that we, he would be our one and only love. How much do you love him? How much do you want him? This is the basis of Christianity. This is really Christianity in a nutshell. It's, it's loving and wanting God. I had a friend of mine who, as a lesbian, and said, well, I can't help not loving women. And, and that's just the way it is. And I said, you know what, Christianity is not you becoming a heterosexual Christianity is about you loving and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's the focus. See, this is the solution to struggles with sex or porn, drugs, alcohol, same-sex attraction, pleasure, food, health, diet, exercise, safety, a pain-free life. If these things reign, then Christ is not first and foremost. And you know what? He'll discipline you when he sees that you want those things more than him. 
Scripture is filled with this. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 34, 18, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs, my soul longs after you. Psalm 43, you are my exceeding joy. Psalm 63, my soul yearns for you. Uh, John chapter six, Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. You must want me like you want food, like you have to have food. You can't go without eating. You're looking at your watches, and is it almost lunchtime? Is is he done yet? No, I'm not done yet. You need to eat, you need food, you need sustenance to live. And Jesus says, you need me to live. You should want me like you want food. And of course, Philippians chapter three, when Paul says, my endeavor to just know you. It's, it's, it's throughout the Bible. As C.S. Lewis said, is God your all-satisfying object? The book of Judges is about this. The book of Judges is that in-between time, between the time of Moses and, and, and Joshua and Israel's kings, And it showed Yahweh's trajectory for his people, for the nation of Israel. God is deeply involved and and specifically sovereign at our at work, sovereignly at work in our lives, preserving us, disciplining us, and overruling all things to work for his good and our good. And he works out all things so he will have a people who want him above all else. Do you? When it came to Israel and her history, she was under God's special direction from day one. Nothing happened without Yahweh's, Yahweh God's total control and consent. And through them, he will work out his divine plan to save the world. Not just Jews, Gentiles. And judges is part of that process. God saw fit to include this period of Israel's history in his word. And and it serves as a particular purpose in his particular plan to save humanity, though it's a book with which we are very unfamiliar. I mean, most of us are familiar with the stories about Samson or Jephthah, those types of things. When you actually read through it, I mean, read through it twice, you almost get depressed. It, 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 it can weigh on you. And then you think, what in the world is this book all about? Why in the world is this guy even preaching through it, let alone reading it? Well, if God saw fit for this to be in his word, then it's fit for us to study it, right? Mm-hmm. Questions arise, and, and we're going to do our best to answer these questions over the next, now, 19 weeks. What was the purpose in God's plan for all these years? And, and, and what was he trying to accomplish? What kind of leaders were these judges? And, and, and why did God use them? What was life like for the average Israelite? 
What were the nations like that surrounded them and brought oppression upon them? What really caused them to ask for a king? Some of those answers, we'll look at them today. And I'll tell you, uh, Leon Wood, The Distressing Days of the, of the Judges, uh, it's a small little book. I, I mean, small. I mean, that book is, is unbelievably awesome. So I would encourage you, if you want to do more study on your own, get that, The Distressing Days of the Judges by Leon Wood. It's a great book. I've read the first 150 pages or so of that book. Great introduction. It's very helpful. God raised up these judges. He had a specific purpose in raising them up. And it was for a definite time period. That's what we'll see. And you'll see, as, as we go through this book, a cycle of events. First, the people sin grievously. Then, time of punishment for their sin came in the form of foreign oppression. Then he would raise up the judge to deliver his people when they would repent. You'd see that. So there's, there's a cycle of events. It's people's sin, punishment, a judge to deliver. And I put those four words, excuse me, one, two, three, four, five words to kind of, you can help us to see the cycle of events. You can write that down or just make a note to that yourself as you're reading through the book and as we're studying the book. Rebellion, retribution, repentance, restoration, rest. That's what you see throughout the book. And you see it happen again, again, and again, and again. I think it's about six, seven times. The cycle of events. Rebellion, retribution, repentance, Restoration, and then a time of rest. Now, there were 14 judges, eight major and six minor. A major judge was one who brought military deliverance and and, an extensive time in the book of Judges. You'll see that. But a judge would perform service as a leader. He or she centered in the disposal of administrative duties necessary to leadership. That's what a judge would do. And actually, there's two judges that are given outside the book of Judges, Eli and Samuel. Samuel was the last judge. So the time period was about uh, about 1390 B.C. to about 1050 B.C. So you have about 340 years. And, and, And you have judges that overlapped in their time. Jephthah, Samson, Eli, and Samuel overlapped with Ibsan, Elon, and Abdon. But Yahweh's goal for these judges was to have his chosen people ruled by a theocratic form of government, not a monarchy. Then your question is, well, what's a theocracy? A theocracy is God is the supreme ruler. This is the goal for all of human history. The goal, the the end goal, what's going to be in the end is a theocracy. That's the direction God's going. To restore what was lost in the garden. A theocracy where he is the supreme ruler. And he expected his people Israel to look to him for leadership and to obey him. One writer says this, quote, he should be the central interest of his people, the focal point of their lives, the highest object of their attention. Well, that sounds like Christianity, doesn't it? And, as a theocratic ruler, he needed to set up communication 
uh, between himself and his people, Israel, for them to know what he required and, and, and how they could communicate with him. Thus, the priests. The priests, only they offered sacrifices. Only they were the mediators between God and his people. It was the priests who were the mediators. And the Levites helped. The Levites were not priests. The Levites were assistants. Which is why you have that problem take place in chapter 17. If you've been reading the book of Judges, you see this guy was a Levite and he makes himself a priest. It's like, what the heck are you doing? You're an idiot. You shouldn't be doing that. Not only would the priests offer the sacrifices, but they, along with the Levites, were called to teach the people the requirements of God's law. This was their major function. So the, the priests and the Levites were supposed to teach the people. And the people had ample opportunities to be taught by priests and Levites. It was all designed to keep Yahweh central. Why did it change from a theocracy to a monarchy? Because of the sinfulness of the people. They had refused this theocratic form of government, so God gave them a second best form, as one writer put it. But God in his will of decree was perfect in this because there would be a king, a king, a God-man king who would rule You see that take place in the future. Messiah would come. That's Jesus. God knew what he was doing. So why did God have to use judges? Because sin abounded. And the people needed supervision. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. You leave them alone for about five minutes, they run amok. Mm. Right? Mm. He's just going to go... Sin abounded, the people needed supervision. Once there was no one policing them, and when they did not obey voluntarily, there was disobedience. Once the people were brought to obedience by the discipline of the oppressing nation, the judge's form of rule would come to an end, and the theocracy in its pure form could be reinstated. So the judge was not elected. He wasn't humanly appointed. And it was temporary. It wasn't continuous. That's why there'd be a judge, he'd raise up, and that's it. God gave the judge, what, what's this? God gave the judge authority to lead the people and bring the proper response to trust and obey Yahweh. And yet the people refused him to being their king to reign over them, but why did God wait so long to give them the second choice? I mean, why, why does God do this? Why does God wait 340 years? Why would he do this? And don't you think it's kind of ridiculous? Why would he just, okay, let's just go, right? I mean, it makes more sense. God graciously desired to give his people the opportunity to enjoy the benefits of the theocracy. Deuteronomy chapter 28, or to put it another way, because God is remarkably, astonishingly, and graciously patient. I mean, he's patient with all of you. He's very patient with me. So he was willing to wait and work through discipline to bring about this rule. So, that means 
every foreign oppression was evidence of God's grace to his people to discipline them to submit to his rule over them. Every foreign oppression, that was evidence of his grace. It was disciplining them to submit to his rule. Those hard times, those times of struggle, those times of trials, those adversities that we face, those are times where God is stripping things away from you so that he would be first and foremost, not the thing or the person that you want. What do you want more than God? What do I want more than him? You see what I mean? This is what the book of Judges is gonna do. It's gonna bring this out in us. And what's really at the heart of our own idolatry? God's covenant faithfulness and and gracious deliverance of his people, you're gonna see it contrasted with Israel's idolatry, immorality, and brutality. You see this, these three, idolatry, immorality, and brutality in those last chapters. Chapter 17 through 21. And when you look at chapter 17 through 21, you're like, oh, it ends on a bad note, blah, blah. Those are actually illustrations. I believe Samuel wrote the book of Judges. And as Samuel wrote the book of Judges, he puts chapter 17 through 21 at the end as illustrations to show you this is how bad it was. But that, those chapters, 17 through 21, actually were taking place earlier on in the history of Israel, not later. It wasn't later in the time period of the Judges. No, it wasn't. He just put it at the end as illustrations of what life was like, but it's really happening in the beginning times in the book of Judges. This is what life was like. This is how Israel acted. That's pretty scary. Their idolatry, their immorality, brutality. I mean, you see this blatant in chapters 20 and 21. What in the world were they thinking? And every time they repented, God would patiently forgive them because he was working his plan to bring the salvation, salvation to the world. But why was it so important that God be the ruler of Israel? Because Israel was to be the model nation to the whole world to which the other nations may look for inspiration, direction, and eventually to worship the one true God. And through them would come Jesus, Christ the Messiah. That's the whole point of Israel's land. You know that little strip of land when you're looking on the globe, you see that it's like about the size of half of your fingernail? And you're kind of like, where's Israel? Oh, there it is. It's that little portion. It's like, why is that such a big deal? And so many people fight over that stupid piece of land, right? Like, why are they fighting over this thing? You gotta understand. If you look at it on the map, this is all of northern area. Turkey's here. North area, Russia's up here. And over here, India. And then down south, you know, Africa's down over here and all the Middle East. That was the main spot of that time period. You would go this way to go into Europe. 
from the Mediterranean Sea, that all the tribes would go from south to north, they would have to go through that route, right through Israel. If you go north to south to do trade, where would you go? Right through Israel. If you're going to go west, you go this way, where would you lead? Right to Israel. If you have to go east to be able to get things from the east, from India, where would you go? Right to Israel. It's all right there. That small little piece of property. That was the point. <laughs> and Israel didn't get it. God, God wanted his people to prosper and be admired by the world so that he would end up getting the glory. So they would come, they'd be like, why are you guys not working on the Sabbath? That's really dumb. Why are you guys doing these rituals and stuff like that? That's really weird. Because we worship Yahweh, God, him and him alone. But Israel had to obey him and him alone. They had to want him and him alone. And that's the problem, they didn't. The people decided to go their own way and forsook Yahweh to make him first, foremost, and central, forsaken his ways. The theocracy failed due to their lack of faith and obedience. You'll see that. They worshiped Baal. And, and other sins followed too. Ashtaroth. You know, it's interesting. For the first 271 years of this time period, you only had five judges. Then during the next 69 years, nine judges ruled. A total of 340 years. Why is that the case? Because what you end up seeing, there was actually an increase in the sin among the people. The sin continued to increase. Plus, Yahweh was trying to show the need for the monarchy due to the people's sinful response towards him. He was not first and foremost. So, the task of the judge was to curtail sin and to deliver from foreign oppression, which was God's form of discipline on his people because he wanted them to solely love, want, and adore him. If you miss anything, today or miss anything over the next 20 weeks so you go through the book of Judges don't miss that because you can see this happening in your own life we'll be reading as a congregation we read out loud we'll be reading the next part of Hebrews chapter 12 where it says God disciplines his children he does that because he loves us Why? Because he wants us to want him. And he'll strip things away from you. So that way it will be made known to you that you want that thing, you want that person, you want more than God. So judges, it majors on the people's sin. God's discipline for their sin and deliverance from his discipline and records the people's sin and how they quickly defected from God's requirements. It shows Israel's persistent apostasy and yet God's patient, gracious response. (laughs) I was reading and one writer put it like this, quote, Israel's survival was a miracle of God's grace, end quote. It's just a miracle that they actually are still in existence today. That's just God's grace. 
And if you want to see, in the book of Judges, kind of like a, a mini-me, a mini-Israel, Samson. He's probably a perfect display of Israel and his passions, his lusts, his foolishness, his faithlessness, and yet still there was faith that was there, says the book of, Jud- uh, book of Hebrews, right? A faithless people, and yet you actually see a faithful God. God's overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people. He wants us to solely want him, and he will discipline us to make that happen. He disciplines us so that he would be our one and only love. How much do you love him? How much do you want him? This is a solution. What are you struggling with? Some struggle with sex and porn, drugs, alcohol, pleasure, food, health, diet, exercise, safety, a pain-free life. What is it that you're putting in a place of God and you want that, you hunger for that more than you hunger for God? You desire that more than you desire God. If these things reign, then Christ is not first and foremost. And you know what? God will graciously, patiently, and lovingly squeeze. He'll discipline you because he wants his people, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, to reflect and be conformed to the image of his son, right? As I was studying and working through things this past week, what clicked in my brain was John Piper's book, Desiring God. If you haven't read that book, you should. It was that first chapter where he brings up um, the confessional, the catechism. What is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God, and Piper changes the word glorify God by enjoying him forever. And he came up with the phrase, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. How is God glorified most in you when you want him the most? When you desire him more and more, I pray this book will direct us towards that. Me, you, all of us. We will want him more. Solely want him. Would you pray with me?